0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Greetings, this is Abayomi Azikawe and welcome back to another edition of the Pan-African Journal. The Pan-African Journal is an audio news magazine that's brought to you here on a weekly basis. I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikoway. Today is Saturday, uh, October the 29th, uh, 2022. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. I'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in uh, once again to another edition of our program. Later on in this episode, we'll be coming up uh, with our Pan-African Newswire reports. We'll have dispatches on the suspension of the Russian-Ukraine grain deal in response to reported drone attacks by Kiev and London against Crimea. There are nearly 100,000 Haitians uh, who have been displaced due to social instability on this Caribbean island nation. We'll have a report on that as well. South African intelligence agencies have warned the public not to circulate unsubstantiated rumors on a potential terrorist attack inside the country. And the West African state of Ghana has been elected to the presidency of the United Nations Security Council. In the second hour, we look at the current situation in the West African state of Guinea, where the military coup leaders have agreed to hold elections within two years. Mozambique uh, also provides its analysis on the significance of the recently held 20th Congress of the Chinese Communist Party. Also, we look in detail at the recent collapse of the grain deal between Russia and Ukraine. Finally, we review uh, recent developments in the efforts to win an appeal for former Black Panther Party member and award-winning journalist uh, Mumia Abu-Jamal in the city of Philadelphia. These and other features will be brought to you uh, during the course of our program, so stay tuned. Uh, We'll take our musical interlude uh, with the music of Tony Allen. Uh, Let's listen in.
2: die go come up for house by what time six o'clock no five o'clock eh?
3: then you will go each house by which which the what do you call them? Eleven thirty
2: then you will come shop you will go to bed which kind of enjoyment you they enjoy now and you get wife <laughs> oh, well. It's just like Haru.
3: Oh, now because of accommodation. That's
2: hmm. where Haru, my brother. You see, everything they move. People they move up and down. And they get their money.
3: But enjoyment not the inside. Talk to me, I
2: go talk to you. Uh. Before you get the house, you go bribe, you go bed, you go walk a hotel you go tired Oh When you get the house, nothing said that's the end. You go pay for five years in advance. Can't take out to take money for a job Before you pack inside the house Where he did you Ha, Eh? For Lagos Can't take out a cheap For Lagos Landlord na king For Lagos Can't take out a cheap For Lagos Landlord na king Oh. Then they take big money for house, show them power Then they take big money for house, show them power First I don't go, I don't go First I don't go, I don't go But no accommodation for Lagos No accommodation for Lagos no accommodation for city. No accommodation for Lagos. No accommodation for city. No accommodation for Lagos. Marocon call house no day. No accommodation for Legan. Ebutero house no day. day? No accommodation for Lagos. bridge, No accommodation for No accommodation for know no, we are then they go our people don't know no, we are then they come from our people not know we are then they go our people not know where then they come from they them give the poor people where to stay. every day then they trust people about then not provide house for people to stay walkers don't get Farmers' nuggets, labour nuggets, fish and nuggets. Now so I see him every day. Now so he happens every day. Now so I see him every day. Now so he happens every day. That's all I see him. You are how to your state house today no
4: accommodation for letter
2: no accommodation for city
4: no accommodation for letters
2: rhythm, we are talking about the power, the vibration, and the forces. African music is music I'm black.
3: percussion you can feel the percussion
2: read it
5: de um guru gujagari, de um
2: de So I sea every day, and I so, it will happen every time. Civilization, now here we want. Discrimination, now here we know what. Civilization. we okay, okay. Our home for here, but we buy them for here. Make them buy our home for here, but we buy them for. them do our home for here. Make them do our home for here. Make we do their home for here. <laughs> 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 In this princess, we say we'll black. Black and white are the same. We'll not forget them. Importation, exportation, we want them. we want them, we want them, we want them, we want them. May we wait our home for here? hour, may we make them home for the make them make our home. I'm gonna make die. Good death is very good, not dying on the road. So, brothers and sisters, you children, take care. Thank you. Love is a natural of Love, love, love Love is a natural of Now
1: of the Federal Republic of Nigeria, and that is from the album entitled No Accommodation for Lagos. You're listening to the Pan-African Journal, this worldwide radio broadcast. Uh, We are broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit on this Saturday evening, October the 29th, uh, 2022. Right now, we want to move into our Pan-African Newswire segment. And our lead story uh, deals with the announcement earlier today that the deal uh, between uh, Moscow and Ukraine that was brokered by Turkey and uh, was initially uh, advanced uh, by the African Union in regard to the transport of grain uh, from the ports in Ukraine. And, of course, uh, Moscow has suspended uh, the implementation of the food deal. And that started earlier today on Saturday. And for an indefinite term, due to uh, what they describe as a terrorist attack on Sevastopol, the Russian foreign ministry said in a statement earlier today, the Russian foreign ministry pointed out that using as a cover the humanitarian corridor created under the Black Sea Grain Initiative for exports of Ukrainian agricultural products, the Ukrainian military conducted a mass drone attack from the air and sea on the ships and infrastructure of Russia's Black Sea Fleet at the naval base in Sevastopol. In connection with the actions of the Ukrainian armed forces led by British specialists, uh, which targeted, among others, Russian ships ensuring the functioning of the Fed humanitarian corridor, which could not be defined otherwise than but an act of terrorism, Russia cannot provide security guarantees For the civilian dry cargo vessels participating in the Black Sea Grain Initiative, and suspends its implementation uh, from today and for an indefinite period, the ministry said. Corresponding uh, instructions have been given to the Russian representatives in the Joint Coordination Center in Istanbul, uh, which supervises the transportation of Ukrainian food. It added. Earlier today, the Russian Defense Ministry said that Russia was suspending its participation in the grain deal after the terrorist attack in Sevastopol, which was carried out by the Kiev regime uh, with the participation of British specialists against the Black Sea Fleet and the commercial vessels involved in ensuring security of the grain corridor. Earlier, uh, the defense ministry said that the Kiev regime had carried out a terrorist attack using nine drones and seven marine autonomous surface vehicles, all of them were destroyed. And uh, according to another report uh, from the Times news agency, uh, the Ukrainian military has mounted an offensive towards uh, Bruskin Skoye uh, in the Kurskhan region, uh, but all their attacks were repelled by the Russian army. Kurskhan Regional Deputy Governor Kirill Stemmusov wrote on his Telegram channel on Saturday. In the Nikolaev uh, Krivoi direction, the Ukrainian Nazis attempted another offensive on the village of the Bruskinskoye. As a result of the intensive fire and successful actions of the Russian armed forces, the Nazis were pushed back to their initial positions, uh, he said. According to the Stremosov, more than 18 Ukrainian troops and four pieces of hardware were eliminated. And uh, in further news on developments uh, which took place uh, earlier today, In the uh, Russia-Ukraine war, uh, where Russia announced the suspension of its participation uh, in the Grain Initiative, the Kiev regime uh, carried out a terrorist attack on the ships of the Black Sea Fleet and civilian ships in Sevastopol using drones, the Russian Ministry of Defense told reporters earlier today. Today at 4.20 a.m., the Kiev regime carried out a terrorist attack on ships of the Black Sea Fleet, and civilian ships, uh, the minister said. According to the statement, nine drones and seven autonomous marine unmanned vehicles were involved in the attack. All air targets were destroyed, the ministry said. The Black Sea Fleet uh, ships that were attacked earlier uh, today were involved in ensuring the security of the Grain Corridor used to export agricultural goods uh, from Ukrainian ports. The Black Sea Fleet ships that were the target of the terrorist attack are involved in ensuring the safety of the grain corridor within the international initiative to export agricultural products from Ukrainian ports, the Defense Ministry said. According to the governor of Sevastopol, Mikhail Razvoszayev, the attack on the armed forces of Ukraine with the use of drones in the waters of the Sevastopol uh, Bay uh, on Saturday was the most massive offensive since the beginning of the special operations. Today we witnessed the most massive attack by UAVs and remote controlled surface drones in the waters of the Sevastopol Bay in the history of the special military operation. Raza Hayev said he noted that all broadcasts from the CCTV cameras in Sevastopol that were previously available to civilians will be closed. Experts from the UK Royal Navy who were preparing military personnel of Ukraine's 73rd Maritime Special Operations Center for the recent terrorist attack in Sevastopol, were also involved in the Nord Stream gas pipeline sabotage. According to the information available to us, representatives of the United Kingdom Navy participated in planning, supporting, and executing the terrorist act in the Baltic Sea on September the 26th in order to disrupt the Nord Stream and the Nord Stream 2 gas pipelines, the statement said. According to the ministry, British exports also prepared Ukrainian military for the terrorist attack in Sevastopol. The preparation of this terrorist act and the training of military personnel of the Ukrainian 73rd Maritime Special Operations Center were carried out under the guidance of British specialists located in the city of Ashikov, Nikolaev region. The minister reported earlier today that Ukraine carried out a terrorist attack on the ships of the Black Sea Fleet and civilian ships in Sevastopol using drones. Today at 4.20 a.m., the Kiev regime carried out a terrorist attack on ships of the Black Sea Fleet and civilian ships, the ministry said. According to the statement, nine drones and seven autonomous marine unmanned vehicles were involved in the attacks. All air targets were destroyed. In other news, Uh, reports uh, that uh, the number of people displaced by gang-related violence in Haiti's capital of Port-au-Prince has tripled in the past five months, according to a report published uh, just this week by the International Organization for Migration, the IOM. The assessment conducted between June and August of 2022 identified over 113,000 internally displaced persons, IDPs, in Haiti. Of these, 96,000 individuals fled security in the Capitol uh, due to inner gang violence and social unrest. An additional 17,000 individuals remained displaced as a result of the worst earthquake in a decade, which devastated the country's southern regions in August of 2021. Gang-related violence in Port-au-Prince metropolitan area had resulted in racketeering, kidnapping, and wider criminal acts in a context characterized by deep inequalities, high levels of deprivation of basic human needs, and a fragmented security environment. Neighbors with the highest levels of violence often report economic distress, with recent surges in food and fuel prices further destabilizing already precarious livelihoods. Thousands of women, children, and men have been forced to leave their homes, seeking shelter away from the violence and destruction. That's according to Ulrika Richardson of the United Nations Resident Coordinating Office in Haiti. The United Nations is working hard hand-in-hand with humanitarian government and local partners to help alleviate the hardships many of the most vulnerable families are facing. That's according to Richardson from the United Nations Resident Coordinator in Haiti. The report was produced by the IOM's Displacement Tracking Matrix, the DTM, In coordination with the Haitian Directorate General for Civil Defense, the DTM assessments provide accurate, regular data on internally displaced populations to inform evidence-based humanitarian actions. These assessments mark the growth of DTM's activities in Haiti, as IOM remains one of the main data providers on population mobility, forced displacement, and the humanitarian situation in Haiti. You're listening to the Pan-African Newswire segment of the Pan-African Journal. In other news, uh, South Africa's national joint operation and intelligence structure, NAT yesterday <clears throat> told the public not to spread the false and alarming information which insinuates that the country is at risk of a terrorist attack. The NAT Joints, comprised the various government departments led by the state security agency, South African police services and South African national defense forces said they met on a regular basis to assess the safety and security of the country. Wednesday, the United States embassy in South Africa issued a security alert alleging that there will be a possible terror attack in Johannesburg, Sampson today. According uh, to the South African uh, intelligence groups, Nat joints notes with concern, the proliferation of false or misleading messages about possible targets of terrorist attacks and the general public is discouraged from sharing misleading information to avoid creating unnecessary panic and alarm Matt joint said in the statement adding that south african intelligence communities has engaged to ensure that credible information would be shared the country's law enforcement agency said with effect from uh, october the 15th they are on a safe festive season campaign To ensure holidaymakers are safe, they said the safety and security of citizens remain the top priority, and they have measures in place to deal uh, with threats to national security. It takes all threats seriously and has countermeasures in place to assess and mitigate terrorism threats. All hands are on deck, and all law enforcement agencies have joined forces to ensure that South Africans and those who live in this country are and feel safe said Nat Joints, there are over 50 events to be hosted in the Hautang province uh, during the period uh, this weekend, uh, which are sporting, cultural, and recreational natures. Nat Joints said, uh, noting that the law enforcement personnel have been deployed to ensure they are safe. Finally, uh, Ghana uh, will be on Tuesday, November the 1st, they will assume the presidency of the United Nations Security Council, a historic moment in the country's two-year tenure at the Security Council. The significance of Ghana presiding over the Council of Affairs for the month of November stems from the fact that the United Nations Security Council is the principal organ for the maintenance of and furtherance of international peace and security. The Ministry of Finance Affairs and Regional Integration, in a media release, copy to the Ghana News Agency outlined some programs of activities in November towards Ghana's presidency of the United Nations Security Council. It said on Tuesday, November the 1st, there will be a press briefing by Mr. Harold Adlai Ajiman, Ambassador and Permanent Representative of Ghana to the United Nations in New York to the United Nations press agencies at 1630 hours. It said on the same day, at 1,900 hours, Mr. Ajiman would also brief the wider UN membership on the program of work and Ghana's priorities during the month. The release uh, said on Thursday, November the 3rd, there will be an op- open ministerial debate to be chaired by Madam Shirley Ayokor-Bachwe, the Minister of Foreign Affairs and Regional Integration, on the topic of integrating effective resilience building and peace operations for sustainable peace that would take place from 1400 hours to 1700 hours and 1900 hours to 2200 hours in the UN Security Council chamber. Uh, it said on Thursday, uh, November, that from 1400 uh, hours to 1700 hours, uh, President Nana Adu Dankwa Akufo-Aju would chair a debate at the head of state level on the topic, Counterterrorism in Africa and Imperative for Peace, Security, and Development. The release said uh, the permanent mission of Ghana to the United Nations New York has informed that the United Nations TV sends out feeds of meetings and briefings via fiber outbound lines through two companies, Encompass and IDB, The Switch. It said that the United Nations Television also confers all briefings at the press briefing room, and it is always assigned to the outbound lines in Compass 4025, as well as the Switch United Nations Network Television. It noted that, however, the United Nations Television does not cover the United Nations Security Council wrap-in briefings to member states, but Web TV does. And uh, with that, uh, we're going to conclude uh, the Pan-African Newswire segment uh, of uh, the Pan-African Journal. In concluding this uh, segment of our program, we want to remind our listeners that the Pan-African Newswire is an international electronic press service that is designed to foster intelligent discussions on the affairs of African people throughout the continent and the world. The press agency was founded in January of 1998, and since then it has published tens of thousands of articles and dispatches in numerous newspapers, uh, magazines, journals, research reports, and on blogs and websites throughout the world. The Pan-African Newswire represents the only daily international news source on Pan-African and global affairs. If you'd like to log on to uh, the Pan-African Newswire so that you can stay abreast of some of the most pressing and burning issues of the day, just go to our website at panafricannews.blogspot.com. That's Pan-African News. Dot and uh, of course, um, if you'd like to have access to today's uh, Pan-African Journal, uh, Worldwide uh, Radio Broadcast, all you need to do is go to the Pan-African Radio Network. And uh, to get to the Pan-African Radio Network, you just have to log on uh, to uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash pan-African Journal. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more of our program for this week. of uh, Phyllis Hyman, the legend, uh, with the song entitled One Thing on My Mind, and we are on your mind here at the Pan-African Journal, our worldwide radio broadcast uh, for Saturday, October 29th, uh, 2022. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. Uh, I am your host, uh, Bayomi Azikwe, and as we mentioned in our Pan-African Newswire segment, uh, the Russian Federation has suspended its participation in the Grain Initiative, uh, which was designed to address uh, the food deficits uh, which are mounting uh, in various uh, geopolitical regions around the world. Considering uh, that uh, Ukraine and the Russian Federation are large-scale producers and exporters of uh, agricultural products as well as agricultural inputs, let's listen to a
6: report about uh, today's uh, developments some breaking news. Russia says it's suspending its U.N. and Turkey-brokered grain export deal with Ukraine. The country's defense ministry says it is pulling out due to recent attacks on its Black Sea fleet. Well, Harry Fawcett joins us from Kiev. Harry, I know it's early days. We haven't known this for very long, but what can you tell us around this news?
7: Well, certainly uh, no reaction yet coming from the Ukrainian side and no reaction as well to the accusations that Russia was making throughout the day that Ukrainian, uh, with uh, assistance, they said, from Britain, had attacked their Black Sea fleet uh, in Sevastopol, the the port in Crimea, which uh, is obviously occupied by Russia, annexed by Russia uh, in uh, 2013. And so that is the uh, reason that they are giving for having pulled out of this grain deal. This was a key breakthrough, really, uh, both in terms of Ukraine's ability to export and then to harvest its agricultural crops this autumn, and in terms of world food supplies, there was a real uh, logjam jam taking place in southern Ukraine, so key to uh, grain, to sunflower oil, to, to many agricultural products used around the world, uh, and a reason for, for some of these shortages and Uh, spikes in food prices around the world. That was struck back in late July. It was meant to last for 120 days, potentially be renewed on the 19th of November if there were no objections from any side. For some days now, Russia has has been objecting to the terms and the way that it's been uh, going on. Uh, Complaints as well that Russia hadn't been able to export its own agricultural products and fertilizers, and now, in the light of this attack, which Russia said lightly damaged a minesweeper, there are reports that the damage was greater than that, and coming from both uh, aerial and seaborne unmanned drones, uh, Russia is now pulling out of this deal. So, as I say, we're still waiting to hear any reaction coming from the Ukrainians. Uh, As far as the British are concerned, they're denying any involvement in this morning's attack.
6: All right, Harry, stand by. We can bring our viewers a little bit more on that attack in the Black Sea that you mentioned. Russia says it repelled a Ukrainian drone attack on uh, Black Sea fleet ships docked in the Crimean city of Sevastopol. That's what Harry was talking about. The Kremlin claims the attack was carried out, quote, under the guidance of British specialists. Listen to this. The Kiev regime carried out a terrorist attack on ships of the Black Sea Fleet and civilian ships that were on the outer and inner roadsteads of the Sebastopol base. Nine unmanned aerial vehicles and seven autonomous maritime drones were involved in the attack. So Harry, in light of what we just heard, I want to go back to what you were telling us just a moment ago. Uh, Is there any reason to believe that the British at this stage were involved in any way, shape or form with this attack?
7: Well, certainly nothing substantiated by the Russians, Uh, no evidence yet provided. They said not only were the British involved uh, in this attack in the early hours of Saturday morning, they're also claiming that British underwater teams were involved in the sabotage of the Nord Stream 1 and 2 pipelines in the Baltic Sea uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, Again, Britain is denying there's any involvement in either of those events. Uh, And so the key thing now... Uh, that the well, I suppose there are two big questions: how much damage really was done in this attack, and what kind of retaliation militarily might there be uh, by the Russians? Because you remember just uh, at the beginning of the month, with the attack on the Kerch bridge linking Crimea and mainland Russia, uh, the the truck bomb that was used to severely damage that bridge. That was followed uh, just a couple of days later with uh, heavy airstrikes on Kiev and other parts of Ukraine, but already it seems there is retaliation uh, on this diplomatic, political, mm. economic level with the decision by Russia to pull out of this deal. It is something that they would seem to be edging towards over recent days, a lot more talk about this coming from the Kremlin, and now the Defense Ministry uh, has announced that as a result of this attack in Crimea, they are pulling out.
6: And Harry, if you can take us back just a little bit, this deal was a hardly fought uh, agreement uh, that was found between Russia, between Ukraine, it was mediated by Turkey. It was hard to get to a point where it was where there was an agreement to bring the grain out of the region.
7: It was on all sorts of levels on the political level uh, on the logistical level uh, a lot of talk about uh, the military dangers potentially for any uh, civilian shipping going in and out uh, from the, uh, the port areas in southern Ukraine. Uh, the amount of uh, mines floating in the water and the kind of uh, work that would be need to be done on that front as well. But it was seen as crucial uh, for Ukraine because the, uh, the silos in which the previous year's harvest was still being stored were still, uh, if not full, at least uh, very, very much in use to, to store the, the previous year's harvest. And with the new harvest coming up
8: mm. it could have
7: been a major economic and and agricultural problem here in Ukraine and for the wider world. Uh, The amount of grain, the amount of sunflower seed and sunflower oil in the world economy coming from the fields of Ukraine is substantial. It's it's a major part of uh, that part of of the the global staples that are required. And so the prices were spiking. There was real concern about uh, hunger, especially in Africa as a result of, of this logjam. And so it was extremely important. More than nine million tons of agricultural products have already been shipped out as a result of this deal. And now it looks like it's, uh, well, for now it is ended. It's gonna be extremely difficult, you'd imagine, to get it back up and running again from this point.
6: Absolutely. Harry Fawcett reporting live from Kyiv on this breaking news. Thank you very much, Harry. Now let's bring in Rasul Sirdar. He's following this and covering this for us from Istanbul because Rasul, Turkey, was a key player in getting this deal done.
5: Yeah, indeed. Turkey, for starting from the, the, the beginning on, has been the mediator, particularly between Russia and and, and Ukraine, and also uh, with the UN as well. So in July, um, these four parties somehow have been able, managed to 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 reach a deal, and in July it was signed. So later, um, then we have seen the the, the, the ships uh, start to carry the, the the Ukrainian grain to the global uh, market, and so. But so far, uh, after the announcement coming from the Russian Defense Minister. There hasn't been yet any official statement coming from the Turkish uh, capital or any of the other officials yet. But however, as today is, is quite a busy day for President Erdogan, he's attending an open, opening ceremony of the, the first locally produced Turkish car, Britain, which is called Pog. And so all of the state officials, high levels, including all of the ministers, are now there. So probably right after that, you are going to hear the official reaction from Ankara. So the deal was reached in, in July, and simply the mechanism was uh, was was being overseen by the United Nations. So according to that the, the mechanism, according to the plan and the, the agreement that they have reached, the, the ships were uh, carrying the Ukrainian grain mm-hmm. through the Black Sea and taking it to Istanbul. And in Istanbul, there has been... A center established just for that grains, and then from that center to the global market. But Russia by that time had one condition that each of the ship that is going to leave the any Ukrainian port must be suspected, must be investigated uh, or checked by the uh, Russian naval forces. And that have that has been accepted by, by, by Ukraine by that time. So we do not know whether Russia now see any security threat that they suspended the deal or any other reason. So it's not clear at this at this moment. But so far hundreds of thousands of ships have left Ukrainian port cities and can- every degrade to the international market. something that Russia Has been quite critical about, and also we have seen that it has resonated with President Erdogan as well. From time to time, they were saying that these ships originally were planned to mostly carry the grain to the poor countries, underdeveloped countries, the vulnerable countries. But so far, more than half of them is going to the 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 rich countries, European countries, and so on. That was a criticism towards the the how the way how it was being practiced. But we do not know whether this is the reason that russia or is it going to provide or not as, as I said so uh, it's, it's going to be quite a huge blow to the global food uh, security at this point, it seems so. But at this point, we also do not know whether uh, Moscow had any discussion with Ankara uh, in the way of getting to make this decision or not, or whether the United Nations have been notified about it or not. But mm-hmm. so far, as I said, we do not have any official statement from Ankara yet.
6: Absolutely. Rasul Sardar, look, we appreciate all the context around this breaking news here on Al Jazeera that Russia has just pulled out of a key deal that allowed for exporting Ukrainian grain via Turkey. Rasul, thank you very much. You'll keep us apprised of any developments in the coming hours, along with Harry Fawcett in Kyiv. Appreciate all the reporting there. And welcome back. And uh, that was uh, a
1: report. On this uh, developing story uh, based upon events uh, that occurred uh, earlier today uh, when uh, Russian uh, ships in the Black Sea came under attack by drones, uh, which they said were connected uh, with the role of uh, Britain uh, in their support uh, for uh, the war uh, that is being waged right now against the Russian Federation uh, at the aegis of the Pentagon and the North Atlantic uh, Treaty Organization. And uh, if you want to continue to follow this story, all you need to do is go uh, to the Pan-African Newswire. Uh, that's at panafricannews.blogspot.com, and you can stay abreast of all these recent and breaking stories. Right now, we want to move into an uh, African News report that uh, deals uh, with a number of issues uh, impacting uh, the African continent. Let's listen in.
9: Welcome everyone, I'm Yashni Padhiachi and this is Africa Matters. Guinea's military government proposes shortening the transition period before elections, but will it stick to the deadline? We'll speak to some fisherwomen in Malawi who are breaking cultural and gender barriers as they tackle the sex for fish trade. And we'll also find out how Nigeria's advertising industry is coping after becoming the first country to ban the use of foreign models and voiceover artists. The military junta in Guinea has pledged to hold elections within two years. Its initial plan to transition back to civilian government in 36 months was rejected by the West African regional bloc ECOWAS. Colonel Mamadei Dumbuya's government has now been in power for a year, ever since he led a military coup ending President Alpha Conde's decade-long rule. The junta has also been facing pressure from within the country to return to civilian rule. A band group known as the National Front for the Defense of the Constitution has been staging regular demonstrations against the military government, like it did against the previous administration. It says at least four people were killed and 20 injured at a recent protest many from gunshot wounds. The government responded by ordering a crackdown on organizers and protesters, saying its own security forces had also been killed.
6: Everyone is tired. Everyone is fed up. The population
4: living today in this country is pitiful because they are so terrorized. They don't know what to do anymore.
10: These elite units, which should be deployed on the battlefield, are deployed today to maintain order in the city. And unfortunately, these units are using firearms.
9: West African leaders had given Guinea until October 22 to establish a reasonable transitional timetable or face additional sanctions. They were threatening to freeze the financial assets of junta members and bar them from travelling to other countries in the region. The Ikawa's Development Bank also issued a statement saying it would suspend all transactions with the country. But will this pressure work? Let's hear more now from Jonathan Ofe ansa He's the founder of Africa Briefing magazine and joins us from London. Jonathan, it's good to have you on the program. Uh, do you think that the junta is going to stick to this timeline of two years?
11: I believe the junta will because uh, originally it uh, proposed a uh, three-year uh, um, transition period. Well, I think it was a five-year transition period. That, upon pressure by the ECOWAS, was brought down to three. And now, they've met with ECOWAS and agreed to ECOWAS demands to uh, bring it, you know, forward uh, to two years. So, I believe uh, the JOTA would. And don't forget that uh, the sanctions the ECOWAS, you know, has uh, imposed on the JOTA is also biting. It's, it's, ha- it's having a terrible effect in the country.
9: And so how does this transitional process then begin? Does Guinea have the democratic structures to move now from junta rule to a democratic transition?
11: Well, that is what uh, the junta is talking about. uh, They want to put all the structures in place. I remember when um, they they ousted the former president uh, Conde last year. They met with the civil society and all the relevant stakeholders, you know, uh, they had a, you know, a conference to try to map out, you know, um, uh, the roadmap to civilian rule. And so, I mean, so, so they thought that they needed at least three years to put all the necessary structures in place, you know, you know before the country went back to um, civilian rule. But the ECOWAS, ECOWAS, you know, was rather um intransigent in their demands for a quicker return to civilian rule. But anyway, after this uh, latest announcement that uh, they would um, um, uh, uh, go back to civilian rule in two years, they have uh, announced that they will have a meeting, a national meeting, in December, right, to set the timetable. So I believe uh, they, will, they will put all the necessary structures in place, you know, for the return to, to civilian rule.
9: Jonathan, let's talk a little bit about ECOWAS and their role, uh, not just in Guinea, but in the region. Do you think that they have been effective? Because Guinea is not the only country in West Africa that's experienced coups in the last two years.
11: Uh, they, ha- they have been somewhat, somewhat effective, yes. But, you see, my beef with ECOWAS is that, look, uh, let's take the case of Guinea. Um, the former president, Alpha Conde tried to extend, amended the constitution to extend its term limits to a third term. And that triggered massive demonstrations, massive uh, protests that resulted in the loss of a lot of civilian lives. So it was this, you know, uh, uh, term limit extension by Afwakondi that preceded this coup d'etat by Colonel Dumbuya. So my question is, my beef with the is that, but, and we have a similar situation, too, in uh, Côte d'Ivoire, where Amand Tara has also extended his term limits. So my beef with the course is that whilst their colleagues in, say, um, Guinea and, 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 um, and, uh, uh, and Côte d'Ivoire were usurping the constitutions just to um, uh, lengthen their time in office, what did they tell their colleagues? Did they impress upon them the need you know, to stick to the constitutional provisions and leave office at the end of their mandated, you know, two-term rule. You see, so when you know the the the, the, the leaders flout the constitutions, extend, try to extend their mandate unconstitutionally, and the circle guitar, do you blame the the case? You cannot blame the lawmakers. So this is where I have a beat with echoes.
9: Yeah, and I think it also lends the question that many are then asking, is uh, democracy uh, the way forward? I mean, is is civilian rule what is going to stabilize so many countries in in West Africa, or does there need to be a better, viable alternative?
11: It is a hard question to answer. Yes, I mean, look, you take not just West Africa, but the whole of Africa. I mean, um, democracy, you know, is the norm in, in Africa now. Um, elections are held every three, four, five years. So every four, five years, one leader, one administration goes and another comes in. But I, I believe um, democracy, in, uh, democracy is it's okay. It is good for the uh, uh, for the region.
9: So, Jonathan, with all of this happening over the last year and a bit in Guinea, we've also seen protests from the National Front for the defense of the Constitution. But among ordinary people of Guinea, how have their lives been altered by the junta's rule since they took power last September and the ousting of, of Alpha Conde?
11: Well, when, in fact, the, the organization that you mentioned, which is uh, an alliance of polka parties, uh, trade civil groups, the FNDC, um, they actually um, spearheaded protests against Afakonde when they tried to uh, extend his uh, his mandate and again they are the same group that is protesting against um uh, uh the uh, uh, the military junta you know, for a quick return to to civilian rule but look when sanctions are imposed on any country right the 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 the, the, the average guy on the street is the one that suffers most because um, Sanctions are imposed, you know, you cannot transact, export things, do, do a whole lot of things. So the, 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 the ordinary um, uh, uh, person on the street is always badly affected.
9: Yeah, and that's the sad reality of these situations, aren't they? The, the ordinary people are the ones affected. Jonathan Ofe Ansar, really appreciate your analysis and your time here on Africa Matters. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Meanwhile, the chair of ECOWAS and president of Guinea-Bissau, Umaro Sisoko Mbalo, has met Russian President Vladimir Putin and Ukraine's Volodymyr Zelensky in an attempt to diffuse tensions between the warring countries. President Putin said Moscow wants to improve commercial, economic and humanitarian ties with Guinea-Bissau, while President Mbalo called for a peaceful resolution of the war in Ukraine and the impact it's having on African nations.
3: I also
12: pass on the message of all 15 countries representing the economic community of West African states to discuss today's situation of the war between two brothers Russia and Ukraine not only the question of grain and wheat but the world that is blocked
9: President Mbalo then visited Kiev where he was welcomed by President Zelensky Mbalo emphasized Africa's commitment to peace and conveyed a message from Moscow
12: My dear brother, yesterday I was in Russia with President Vladimir Putin who asked me to pass on what we've just talked about, that he thinks direct dialogue between your two countries, which are sisters, would be very important and desirable. As for us, you can be sure that it's not only fertilizers and grain that Africa needs.
9: So Tom, you're on Africa Matters. I'm Timothy Obiezu in Abuja, Nigeria,
12: the first country in the world to ban the use of foreign models and voiceover artists in adverts. Authorities say the ban could potentially boost Nigeria's local advertising industry, but in this report, some critics say there could be a backlash.
3: I am Lavik Masina at Lake Malawi, where women are starting their own businesses to escape the sake of
9: sex work in lakeside areas. Nigeria now where the government has banned the use of foreign models and voiceover artists in local ads. The Advertising Regulatory Council of Nigeria says companies must use Nigerians in ads or face disciplinary action. For many years advertisements airing in the West African nation have featured white actors and narrators with British accents. Authorities say the decision is necessary to encourage homegrown talent and boost the local economy. But as Timothy Obiezu reports from the capital Abuja, some critics say the decision is flawed.
12: It's Jabari Modeling Agency's first training session since the government's ban on foreign models came into effect on October the 1st. Ikechukwu Urum co-founded the agency in 2020 and has about 40 Nigerian models on his books, many of whom secured jobs in Paris, Milan, London and New York. But he's worried that the government's decision could threaten his business.
13: It could work for those who are into commercial modeling here in Nigeria, but it it might also have an effect on those of us who work with international because if for example France decides that they will only use all the French brands should only use French models, what happens to Nigerian models who are working in France and any money?
12: Nigeria is the first country in the world to apply the so called protectionist measure in the advertising industry, Abuja-based voiceover artist Bivan Magoni welcomes the ban and urges more African countries to adopt it.
6: Media houses will have to tell you
12: you don't have the accents we are looking for. What accents are they looking for? They are looking for foreign accents. Global consortium firm PricewaterhouseCoopers projects that Nigeria will be the world's fastest growing entertainment and media industry in five years. But Advertising Regulatory Council says the country can't achieve this goal if it continues to lose huge revenues to adverts done elsewhere for the Nigerian market. The body says ongoing campaigns and contracts with foreign talents can continue until they expire but they will not be renewed after that. And companies could face fines of more than $18,000 if they fail to comply.
5: If you're a practitioner, your license can be withdrawn, your creative unit in your agency can be shut down, you can be sent to a disciplinary committee, and the end result will be a illegal action taken against you. There are fines depending on the gravity of your offense that ranges between 2 million and 10 million.
12: Critics say an alternative to a total ban is that authorities could offer incentives to brands who decide to use local talents more and increase taxes for companies who don't. But for now, Magoni hopes to get busier here without shutting out international contracts. Timothy Obiezu, TNT World, Abuja, Nigeria.
9: We go to Malawi next, where a group of young women is working to end the practice of trading sex for food prevalent in fishing areas. With the support from NGOs and other grants, a 21-member group has set up its own fishing business to help women economically transform their lives. Lamek Messina reports from the Lakeshore Mangochi district in southern Malawi.
3: Every morning, hundreds of people from Monkey Bay area in Mangochi district, many of them women, flock here to Saka fishing camp to scramble for the catch of the day. It is also where some fishermen pressure women into sex in exchange for fish which has become a scarce commodity here most fishermen deny any personal involvement in the practice for fear of reprisals but they admit it really goes on
13: this becomes easier when one is the manager or owner of a fishing company it does not take long and one does not struggle to entice women into sex if he has full control of the fishing business here
3: however A group of 21 women here, known as Fishland Ladies, have purchased their own boat nets and solar dryers in an effort to escape the practice.
8: This boat helps to find fish without problem. At first, Sex for Fish came about because some women were so desperate for fish to eat, so they were forced to exchange their bodies for fish.
3: They had work as Lady Fish product Company, Nyampesi Food Products, offering to become the sole buyer of their daily catch which it packages and supplies to retail shops across the country. You know when ladies go out in the field they would sometimes face shortages of money to run their businesses. This would force them to sell their bodies to meet financial needs of their business. But since we are buying directly from them, it makes them safe from temptation from men who would want to sleep with them because they already have a market. The effort has also economically empowered these women. Some are owning shops, saloons, motorbikes, land and decent houses, among other assets. But the age-old practice has led to the HIV infection rate here skyrocketing to 25% almost triple the national figure of 80%. This has forced community based organizations to embark on women empowerment programs.
6: We brought in some what we call
11: capacity building as well as empower. We encourage the women to, uh, to be in groups like uh, saving groups, uh, groups so they can start up their business so that they be empowered to refrain from sex for our fish. So that we have seen that it has helped a lot.
3: They hope such efforts Will help many other women to fend for themselves and escape the pressure to trade their bodies for fish just as the fishland ladies are doing lamek Masina, africa matters blanta malawi
9: a new app released by the national museums of kenya is enlisting everyday citizens to help defend the country's wildlife The digital data is being used by authorities to track the well-being of Kenya's vast animal population. Daniel Padwick has more.
14: The Kenyan bush is home to a colorful array of wildlife. Over 25,000 different species have been recorded by experts. Now a new app allows users to become citizen scientists to help ensure the well-being of the country's wild residents and even give the country's tourism a boost.
15: this app now helps us to really map where these animals are and if they're in trouble we can get the authorities to come and help us and it it gives me a great opportunity to show the tourists exactly where they are and when you're on foot it's actually sometimes more difficult to find some of the animals because they spread out far and wide
14: assessing the health and conditions of kenya's enormous wildlife is no easy task but with the help of this crowdsourcing technology scientists can't access the information without doing all the footwork. The app Mammal Atlas Kenya, otherwise known as Makenya, relies on people taking photos and logging their observations like an animal species, age, condition and environment.
15: With our scientists they can collaborate all this, all this data and work out exactly how our populations are doing. And, and this is actually a continuous census of our animals in this country, as opposed to the KWS doing one every three, four years to see how the population is doing. This will be a continuous, continuous census, and, and we will know how well our animals are performing.
14: This is particularly useful for safeguarding endangered species. It will also include uh, recording the,
16: the breeding um, condition. Specifically, if you see um, endangered species and you see that it has a young one, that is quite encouraging because we know that that species is actually will, will survive in, in the environment. Number two, again, it will be a game changer because it will also capture the habitat type where that species is found. If the habitat is in good condition, then we know that the, the endangered species will survive in that particular habitat in, in long run.
14: Keeping sight of the future is paramount to protecting nature. And thanks to the McKenya app, wildlife conservation has become a joint effort. Daniel Padwick, Africa Matters.
9: African countries are calling for an end to what they call climate injustice, saying the continent is the least responsible for global warming, but is paying the highest price. With COP27 approaching, the rights of developing nations to exploit their resources is being brought into sharp focus. Taipei Aiden reports.
10: This is a fishing village near St. Louis, where Senegal meets Mauritania. And a new offshore gas terminal is raising
2: fears.
5: Cohabitation is not possible. If you're extracting the gas, you're killing the fish in St. Louis because... Saint Louis is the capital of fishing. The number of boats that are in Saint Louis and the types of fishing that are there exist nowhere else. But the fishing area is very small. It's practically stuck between the mouth and the border of Mauritania. In
10: 2015, gas deposits were found under the coastal waters of Senegal and neighboring Mauritania. A terminal is under construction, with production expected to begin by the end of 2023. The Greater Tortue Armium is the deepest offshore liquefied natural gas project in sub-Saharan Africa. Its reserve covers 13,543 square kilometres and is made up of four blocks. BP, a British multinational oil and gas company, runs the project and says that it contains around 4.2 trillion cubic metres of gas, enough for at least 30 years of production. Senegalese President Macky Sall says it would be an injustice not to extract the
11: resources.
5: It is legitimate, fair and equitable
9: that Africa, the continent lagging furthest behind in the industrialization process, and as the least polluting continent, should exploit its available
6: resources to provide basic energy to improve the competitiveness of its economy.
10: At a joint news conference in Dhaka in May, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz expressed interest in the new project as a way of cutting Europe's dependence on Russian energy. But it's making local residents of nearby coastal regions concerned about their future.
6: No one can deny that resource exploitation has and will continue to have an impact on our environment. There will also be social impacts. And when you see the communities that live next to where the resources will be exploited, especially here in Nguet where there is a community of fishermen, we feel the concerns. We see the contrast between the billions that we are told will come from the extraction of offshore gas and the poverty that you see around you.
10: The government insists that tapping the gas prospects could turn around to the country's fortunes. But fishermen here worry that they won't get their cut of the profits or traditional
9: fishing grounds. Tabor Aydin, Africa Matters. The South African government is pushing for a faster transition to green alternatives after receiving $8.5 billion from the EU and other Western countries. But the change is bad news for the country's coal mining industry, which employs almost 100,000 people and accounts for 80% of electricity production. Shoaib Hassan takes a closer look.
4: It has
13: been a daily routine for South Africa's coal miners for years, getting ready to start their 12-hour shift as they wait for trucks that will drive them to an underground shaft. This is just one of the 100 mines that dot the landscape in the northeastern province of Mpumalanga but Pretoria's commitment to go green has heightened fears.
9: You will find that this man is providing and supporting his family and his relatives alone as one of the permanent employees and then there's also contractors they are also very dependent on this coal they also have people that they look after and provide for so it's
13: going to be difficult. Greenpeace says Mpumalanga has some of the dirtiest air in the world in a recent victory for climate activists Judges ordered authorities to speed up reduction of pollution in the province. The change in attitude has led one of South Africa's largest energy companies, Serity, to set up a green division.
11: Uh, we are aware that uh, Serity Green has been established uh, a few months back and then we are in support of that because we need to diversify as an organization in line with what might be coming in the near future and to benchmark
13: ourselves with international standards. While many agree the coming change is inevitable, they also say it will be hard for the miners and their families. It's
11: sad because there is a lot of mines and they hire a lot of people. If they were to close, a lot of people would struggle. So the mines are very important in our lives, especially
13: coal because we even make fires with them. They do a lot of work actually. Many miners still hope that is still a few years away and their livelihoods will be secure, at least for now. Shweb Hudson, Africa Matters.
9: And finally, we we'll explore Sekondi Tokaradi, twin cities located in Ghana's southwest. It was the first deep-water harbour built in 1928. Following the discovery of large oil deposits, the city's fortunes made a turn for the better in the last 10 years. Here's a closer look. Our show this week. It would be great if you shared your thoughts with us about the stories you've seen on this episode or anything you'd like us to cover. You can use the hashtag AfricaMatters on Twitter. And to watch this episode again, you can find us on YouTube. It was great being with you. Until next time, take care. Bye-bye.
1: Welcome back. You're listening to the Pan-African Journal. Worldwide uh, Radio Broadcast. I am your host, uh, Abayomi Azikahwe. Today is Saturday, October 29th, uh, 2022. We're broadcasting live from our studios in downtown Detroit. And we'd like to thank all of our listeners for tuning in once again to yet another edition of the Pan-African Journal Worldwide Radio Broadcast. Right now, we want to listen to an interview uh, with... uh, A representative of the Mozambique government uh, and she is providing reflections on the recently uh, held 20th Congress of the Communist Party of China Uh, let's listen to this report
0: what does China's growth have to do with the people of Mozambique in Africa The 20th National Congress of the Communist Party of China ended just a few days ago. So let's look at how the outcome of this meeting will affect China-Mozambican relations on the ambassadorial level. And what do African people expect from China's modernization in the next stage? Earlier, I sat down with Her Excellency Maria Gustava, the Mozambican ambassador to China, in my first question and asked about her major takeaways from President Xi Jinping's report to the 20th CPC National Congress.
16: Uh, First is the great achievement of the Chinese people, the government of the the China on the poverty eradication. This is the major uh, achievement that we admire as Mozambique and Africa. This is still a big challenge for the world and a, a challenge for most of developing countries like Mozambique. So we inspire from the Chinese effort to eradicate the poverty like a model for us. This is one. And the second one is the the building of a modern, uh, prosperous country. As you know, China is the second uh, world economy and is making a huge contribution for its achievement for the world, uh, for Mozambique, for the African country, because now China has become a major partner for trade, a major partner for the investment, and also has become a major partner for most of the issues in the international world. And And the third one, is the the great courage of the Chinese people to move to a new era of modernization.
0: Yeah, what is the takeaway from President Xi's report? Do you see all of the things that you just mentioned right now, the the fight against poverty, the fight against, you know, the problems in the world, do you see these being continued, continuously addressed under the leadership of the Chinese Communist Party in the next five years?
16: Is that what you're reading or something else? Yes, because from what we heard from the report is that the China is going to continue to work to bring all people, all Chinese people, all ethnic groups, all corner of the China to build a modernization of this uh, great country, which is going to give a, a great contribution again for for the world and especially for our cooperation because. As China is going to give more emphasis for the science and technology and for the education and for other research and many of the things, so we are looking to work with the China and also to see what we can learn and we can uh, exchange experience from that. And for the China to become more modern, was going to give contribution for for our countries for the achievement that they. Because normally China shares all the achievements with the world. Can
0: you give an example of that as China continues to develop? What would it be for Mozambique to learn from or to cooperate or to
16: tap into? I will, I will take it for the, for the agriculture issues. We have been receiving a, a Chinese technicians to share the experience to to give us the expertise on how to produce more to have the food security in our country. And also this country has been uh, giving the scholarship to our young people to learn more and to get uh, uh, acknowledgement from what they are, 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 are getting. So this is a great contribution for our, our, our people to also to fight against poverty and also to, to, for, for development. So we really, we, we value, we value that because uh, China, always share, you know, experience. And also is going out there and um, is promoting the trade with our countries, and also is, is promoting the development of our infrastructure, uh, taking from the experience and from the research that is getting. So this all is good because we yeah, we are part of all uh, this development that is, is helping in China right now yeah. as the African countries. Yes. Yeah.
0: yeah. President Xi Jinping also stressed a high standard opening up in the report. You said China will expand institutional opening up in terms of rules, regulations, management, standards.
16: How do you look at this emphasis? Uh, this is good in the way that since right now, this is a globalized world. So China cannot develop in isolation. So it is better to be open to the world and to also to follow the rules that has been following already, but to to follow the, the international rules and to build up more higher standards for, 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 for the livelihood of the people, of Chinese people, and also for the world as such. So we look at the opening up of, of China as a good, good thing that, uh, because uh, it can bring Experience also from out there, like even for our country, we have something to share with with, with China. Uh, We can be like a developing country, but we have still a lot to share. So the Chinese is really open up more so we can work together and China can benefit and our country also can benefit. Uh, No country can live in isolation and also to build a high quality, is good too because that will bring a high quality for the life of our people as well hmm. and also will, will bring more development and prosperous for, 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 for the nation we, we look at this at uh, to uh, in terms of uh, the condition of China and look for the cultural the conditions and uh, not copy and past is a good thing as well because each country has got its own reality, its own condition. So developing, taking into account the reality and the condition of the Chinese uh, culture and development is a good thing as well. Yeah,
0: Um, How open and how mutually respectful would you say your Chinese counterpart is while you are trying to build bridge between China and Mozambique over the past couple of years. You've been China since 2018. And how has the experience been?
16: Um uh, China and Mozambique, first, we share the same values. We share the same principles. And we have been a very good friend. A friendship is a good basis for development because this brings the people together and for the knowledgement and to share, because when there the, is the a friendship, we can share freely and the trust and the confidence that exists between the the two countries is something good, so this is really flourishing our our cooperation at high level from the the the, the, the president our presidents are very you know close. And our people as well, and our business people also. They are they are interacting to to build economic paths in in all spheres. We are we are seeing a lot of Chinese people going to Mozambique to look for the business opportunities, hmm. and also we see the Mozambican people coming to China to look for the. For, for the business opportunity as well, uh, so this is, is something good that uh, we we are looking for that it can uh, develop even further. Eh? Yeah. For a uh, high, because now we have established a strategic partnership between the two countries. So this strategic partnership is is is, is, is the concept and something that is good for for, for the two it, countries and two yeah. people.
0: In the beginning of September this year, China scrapped duties for 98% of products imported from 16 developing countries, including Mozambique. What sectors will benefit the most?
16: Uh, Mozambique is really very happy for, 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 for these uh, opportunities, and our business people are really looking forward to export more to China. And we we can see a lot of uh, companies that want to register themselves to export. We are looking to Export our agricultural products. We have a lot of agricultural products to export to China. For instance, we are for for instance, we have a macadamia, we have cashews, we have peanuts, we have a different type of beans, we have sesame, and uh, we have soya. So many products that we can uh, mm-hmm. export to China. Okay. Including coffee. So, and also we are looking forward to to export to China more seafood uh, products. As you know, Mozambique is very uh, famous and is one of uh, major exporters for the sea products. I know that. So I've been
0: to Mozambique. I've been to a fish
16: market by the sea. It was wonderful. Yes, yeah, so we, we are looking forward to export more of these products to, to, to China. And also, this is a window for more Chinese people to go to Mozambique to invest in this area so they can export back to China because China is a big market, mm-hmm. it's a big market. So it gives uh, for our private uh, the sector opportunity to export and also gives the Chinese people opportunity to invest to ex- export again right. uh, and to China. So well, for both countries yeah. can benefit.
0: Infrastructure, mm-hmm. Infrastructure is another big part of bilateral cooperation, I know the Maputo-Katembe Bridge, which is Africa's longest suspension bridge connecting South Africa and Mozambique, has been completed and is now open to traffic. Um, It took four years to construct. So how beneficial has it been so far? Uh, No
16: country can develop without infrastructure. And China is uh, helping our country to develop infrastructure, and we really uh, we appreciate this. So the bridge is the one of, of those infrastructure that is uh, having a huge impact in our economy, especially in the tourism. As you know, in the Ponte do uh, we have a lot of uh, tourist resorts. So now with this bridge. We can witness a lot of uh, Mozambican foreigners going to these areas because uh, it's easy to reach there. Mm -hmm. And also it's now easy to reach South Africa from there. So also it's helping our connection. Not only Within the country, but also with our neighboring country. We are talking about if we are talking about South Africa, for so this uh, uh, development is really a very exciting and is contributing for our economy and is contributing for our the movement of our people. So we are really looking forward to have more investment in infrastructure, especially in the roads. Uh, we have the okay. the national. Yeah, the national roads. right now there are quite a number of Chinese companies in Mozambique working in infrastructure, and we are looking to do more together. Thank you so much, Your
0: Excellency Maria Gustava, the Ambassador of Mozambique to China.
16: Thank you very much. And uh, I, as I said, um, China is a home for me. I'm really... Uh, um, Uh, delighted to be here. I'm really very happy to be in China and to be ambassador in this great country.
1: Welcome back. That was an interview with uh, the Mozambican uh, ambassador to the People's Republic of China uh, discussing uh, the outcomes of the 20th Congress of the Communist Party of China uh, that was recently held uh, inside the country you're listening to the Pan-African Journal, worldwide radio broadcast. Uh, I am your host, uh, Abalomi Azikwe, And uh, we're going to take a musical interlude, and I will be back uh, with more of our program for uh, this week.
17: The sun belongs to you and should surround you. Yet when I turn to look, I see they've snatched the sun from all around.
1: back to uh, listening to the Pan-African Journal worldwide uh, radio broadcast and <clears throat> that was uh, the music of Elaine Brown uh, from the album Seize the Time from 1969 <clears throat> music of the uh, Black Panther Party and um, there was a hearing uh, just this last past week in Philadelphia uh, seeking an appeal uh, for uh, Black Panther Party veteran uh, seasoned, and revolutionary journalist, uh, Mumia Abu-Jamal. And uh, we're going to listen first to one of his commentaries, and then we'll have an interview with Noel Hanrahan of Prison Radio, who uh, is responsible for recording and producing and disseminating uh, Mumia Abu-Jamal's commentaries uh, for many years now. Uh, Let's listen to one of Mumia's commentaries from... Over five years ago, this is called the Axis of Language and Philosophy.
15: At the Axis of Language and Philosophy, Des Soissures examines the field of linguistics by separating two controlling facets therein, speech and language. Speech, he argues, is at every moment an existing institution which is a product of the past. Soissures ate. Language, in which speech has its home from its very inception, created by a collectivity, Swassur 11. That is, it cannot subsist in a solitary soul. It must be shared, or it simply cannot exist, Swassur writes. For languages not complete in any speaker, it must be perfectly only within a collectivity. But what were the elements that gave rise to speech and language. Soissor teaches that the core concept of these communicative institutions is the coherence between the signifier and the signified, or the utilization of signs to project meanings to others. Levi Strauss, an acclaimed anthropologist, suggests the deconstruction of words into base phonemes opens doors to meaning. He writes, quote, linguistics teaches us precisely that structured analysis cannot be applied to words directly, but only to words previously broken down into phonemes. Levi Strauss, 36. Desoisurs doesn't agree, for he determines that language bids, in their written form, words, equal signs, Called phonemes are actually arbitrary, having no intrinsic meaning, Soissure 67-68. Words mean, it seems, whatever we collectively agree what they mean. But all languages are not created equal, as Fanon illustrated in his classic black Skin, white masks. By training a psychiatrist, Fanon plunges into the psyches of the colonizer, and the colonized, and shows us how language, especially French, acts to denigreize oppressed communities, assigning ascension in racial states from savage to civilized based on one's facility and mastery of the language of the colonizing power. Africanity, then, is the dark abode of savagery, and in Afro-Caribbean communities, this station is marked by what Fanon calls Pigeon nigger dialect, Creole, Fanon, 23. In French and European consciousness, their languages are true languages and models of sophistication. Blacks, however, spoke in dialects. Why? Because as Fanon observed, to speak a language is to take on a world. Fanon, 25. Obversely, if this is so, so too may the opposing principle be assumed. To lose an ancestral language is to lose a world. Fanon, an astute political actor, knew that it was power that determines place. This may be seen in two historical political examples. Fanon cites, without attribution, the observation, what matters is not to know the world, but to change it. The Caribbean island of Haiti, which waged a successful revolution against their French enslavers. Upon independence, adopted Creole as its official language, and while French is used by its elites, Creole is the tongue of the masses. Thus, we see that language is more than a phonemetic phenomenon. It is a political vehicle as well, which serves political and economic purposes. Derrida's two articles provide insight into dual dimensions of communication, the written word and the sign. While one has a fixed character, which may experience drift over the passage of time, the other, because it allows multiple readings, is of a more amorphous character. For though it has structure, that structure is not fixed. Derrida's article on structure begins with the essence of philosophy, which Because of its contradictory nature, both seeks structural forms and rejects them in search of new forms. For philosophy, Derrida notes, is congenitally oppositional, Derrida three. That's because philosophers question old verities and seek to destabilize vaunted philosophical positions and theories. Philosophy, then, is an eruption of new theories colliding with previous ones. That is the nature of questioning, for the mind is never truly at rest. Upon Derrida's observation, philosophy seems a science of eccentricity. For approaches to comparative cultural studies too, this is Mumia Abu-Jamal.
1: And uh, that was uh, Mumia Abu-Jamal. Speaking on uh, the axis of language and philosophy... And uh, we're going to hear an interview right now with uh, Noel Hanrahan uh, reviewing developments at the hearing that was held just this last past week in Philadelphia on October 26th over the question of an appeal uh, for Mumia Abu-Jamal, 40 years after his conviction uh, for uh, the killing of a Philadelphia police officer, which he has always maintained is not guilty.
8: TV snake oil salesman and Republican Pennsylvania candidate Mehmet Oz began a recent debate with opponent John Fetterman with reference to Maureen Faulkner, the widow of Philadelphia police officer Daniel Faulkner. Fetterman, Oz claimed, quote, has been trying to get as many murderers convicted and sentenced to life in prison out of jail as possible including people who are similar to the man who murdered her husband, close quote. You could live in a cave and understand what Oz was trying to do there, but not everyone may recognize the particular dog whistle that is the reference to Mumia Abu-Jamal, convicted of fatally shooting Daniel Faulkner in 1983. That was the conviction. Mumia Abu-Jamal's conviction turned, importantly, on unreliable and conflicting testimony. It was significant that in taking up the case, elite news media went along for the ride, and sometimes drove the car, encouraging acceptance, for instance, of the fact that Though the guard assigned to Mumia immediately after his arrest reported, quote, the Negro male made no statements, close quote, more to be believed was the other officer who subsequently came forward to say that actually from his hospital bed, Mumia had declared, quote, I shot the mother and I hope he dies, close quote. Neither witness recantations or shifting accounts Or evidence of jury purging in Mumia's case, nor the ever-expanding evidence of the terrible harms and injustices of the U.S. prison system generally seem to be enough to shake some media from their investment in the narrative of the, quote, convicted cop killer, close quote, and the need to keep him not just behind bars, but also to keep him and people similar to him quiet keep their voices and their lives out of public conversation and consideration. Noelle Hanrahan is legal director at Prison Radio, where Mumia Abu-Jamal is lead correspondent. She joins us now by phone from Pennsylvania. Welcome back to Counterspin, Noelle Hanrahan.
18: Thank you for having me.
8: Well, we can fill in context as we go, but please go ahead and start with what's uppermost. What is the latest legal development here
18: when a defendant is trying to overturn their conviction and mumia has been in for 42 years when they protest their innocence they have to go to the local trial court that in philadelphia is the common pleas court mumia had fantastic new critical evidence that was just discovered two years ago there was a note in the prosecutor's files that said where was my money from one of the key defendants and this happened right after the trial implying that he was paid for his testimony. There were also notes saying that the other key witness, their cases were being tracked and that none of the outstanding charges pending against this witness were ever prosecuted. The most dramatic evidence was evidence of taking blacks off of the jury and marks on the prosecutor's notes about the racial composition of the jury, and also what was good and bad about which jury was selected, which juror, a white or a black juror. These were critical documents that many other people have gotten relief on. The jury notes are called the Batson claims, the U.S. constitutional claim. The suppression of evidence by the prosecution, burying evidence for 40 years, is called a Brady claim. These have gotten relief from many other Defendant. So now 42 years later, Mumia Abu-Jamal was before Judge Lucretia Clemens in the Commons Police Court, and yesterday she denied all of his claims. She denied them procedurally. She refused to look at the merits of the body of evidence, and specifically this new evidence, and she denied it based on time bar, waiver, due diligence, and it's just like, it's the Post-Conviction Relief Act, which is there only to deny inmates access to the court. So I was Mumia's producer. I've worked on Mumia with his books, many of his books, including his latest trilogy, Murder Incorporated, Empire, Genocide, and Manifest Destiny. We published those materials. About five years ago, I went to law school at the Bar in Pennsylvania, and it's, unbelievable to see the level of stiff-arming accountability to the Frank Rizzo, Ed Rendell, Ron Castile era of literal torture of defendants and witnesses. Like, literally torture. Not figuratively, literally. Think John Birch in Chicago. Like, think of the types of torture that have happened. That is typically what happened in the cases that I now investigate, innocence cases, prosecutorial misconduct cases, cases where this kind of information is available to these judges. I'll give you one clear example. One of the key witnesses, Robert Chobert, he was a cab driver driving without a license. He was on probation. He had thrown a Molotov cocktail into a school for pay. None of that material was before the jury. There were pictures, he said he was right behind the police car and saw yesterday the district attorney in this case, Grady Gravino, on the other side, said Robert Chobert looked up from his cabin, saw Mumia shoot the officer. There are pictures that just came out a few years ago from the Philadelphia Bulletin that prove, that were taken 10 minutes after the shooting, that prove that Robert Chobert wasn't... There, his cab was not behind the police car. Those photographs, the Polica photos, were denied into evidence. They were prevented from being put into the record. So we have Robert Chobert being presumed to be this like amazing witness with no problems. Literally, the photos prove he wasn't there. And nobody was, was able to be told to the jury that he was on probation for throwing a Molotov cocktail into a school for pay. He came back to McGill and asked, could he get his cab driver's license reinstated? No promise, he said. McGill said there was no promise of favoritism. Then we discovered two years ago his note in the prosecutor's files. Where is my money for testifying? So the context, right? So that's zooming in right now on what happened in court. The context, the things that haven't been given to the court before that haven't been considered today, we have a court reporter, Terry Moore Carter, saying in front of another judge, Richard Klein, that Albert Sabo said, I'm going to help them fry the N-word. He said this in the first week of the trial. Yeah. So this is America. Yeah. Yep. That's the kind of trial that Umiya Abu-Jamal had where his original trial judge, Albert, I'm going to help them fry the N-word, Sabo, presided. And so we have a judge now who is saying none of this matters. He doesn't get relief.
8: And you have to wonder what would be lost on the part of journalists to re Examine that, including reexamining their own role. What is it that they feel they're going to lose? You know, there were many voices at the time calling out corporate media's dereliction of duty. Fair was one of them. But, I mean, it was really, it was remarkable.
18: When Albert Sabo was presiding over the 1995 evidentiary hearing, the Philadelphia Inquirer's headline was, Sabo must go. He's going to let Mumia off because he's so blatantly racist. The headline was, Sabo Must Go. That was the post. People know it. People know it. The Daily News. People know it. The courts know it. I interviewed Barbara McDermott, a criminal judge in the Homicide Division. She said Judge Sable was the most racist, sexist, and homophobic judge she'd ever met. Everyone knows. It's not unclear. They all know. They are preserving the system. So Larry Crosner, in an in appeal four years ago, said if they undid all of Ron Castile, a racist DA's opinions and judgments, it would question the entire system. So they wanted to narrow it right. to a class of individuals, a smaller class that Momia was included in. So he's not willing. Who's not willing? They're not willing, because the whole system would be called into question Now this is a system, you have to remember, this is a system that is built on black bodies. There's an assembly line of black bodies through the Juanita Kid Injustice Center at 13th and Locust that is paying for the Fraternal Order of Police overtime. So Larry Krasner said it in an Atlantic article, it's the linchpin. The majority white police force of 6,500 police officers 6,500 retired officers, it is their pensions, and it is their overtime to pay their Jersey mortgages. This is not me saying Jersey mortgages. This is the legal director of Kenyatta Johnson's office telling me, oh, yeah, we know why we can't do that. We know why we can't fix the potholes because the police overtime is out of control, but, you know, they have to pay their Jersey mortgages. Mm -hmm. And really at the last bump, you know, when they need to go for their pension, that's when all the overtime racks up. $50 $50 million of overtime each year, that's the linchpin. That's the dynamic. It's commodifying poor people of color for the service of the white, marginally working-class, middle-class police officers.
8: Well, and let me ask you about part of how they sell that narrative, which does have to do with News media, folks who remember coverage of Mumia's original trial will remember how hard elite media went in on the idea not just of accepting all of the you know, malfeasance and problems and, and, and craziness and around his case, but also there was a big overarching storyline about the idea that anybody who was incarcerated who was deemed political – anybody who was incarcerated who people on the outside were taking an interest in was to be silenced right and so even like a sympathetic piece from philly's public tv station whyy last year around protests around mumia they led with the idea that the case quote pitted supporters including a long list of national and international celebrities against police and their supporters who resent the attention, close quote, to the case. So it makes it media have tried to turn it into not the particular information about this case, which, as you've said, the kind of information that has come out would lead to freedom or to overturning of convictions in other cases. They've made it a kind of litmus test about celebrity interest in incarcerated people or about incarcerated people as issue rather than as human beings.
18: Let me just say that's like Inquirer Light.
8: Yeah. The real
18: issue here, and I live in Philadelphia, is fear. Fear of the police. Yeah. William Marin Mauve knows better. The Pulitzer Prize-winning journalists who live in this city – who have covered the city they know and they are afraid they are literally afraid people don't realize that we have a classical radio station WRTI in Philadelphia associated with temple for one reason because overnight they switched the switch and took off general public interest programming right by democracy now one day overnight changed it to a classical radio station. That's why we have classical radio here in Philadelphia. Right. So they do it and they punish us. They punish the producers. They punish the journalists. (laughs) You know, Lynn Washington can tell you, everyone knows. That's the thing is the courts know, the journalists know. They know that this is a scandal, a scheme. They know that the police threats of violence are exactly what keeps people in line they threaten your job and they threaten your life imagine if i had a news van and i painted it free mumia and i parked it on the streets of philadelphia it would be like a cop magnet to get destroyed Mm -hmm. blown up torched all my tires would be slashed well you could just prove it and do it it would happen (laughs) you know i mean everyone knows it
8: absolutely they
18: are terrified. People here are terrified of the police, and people who have jobs, who have comfortable livings, will not push the envelope, and that includes our editors of our major newspapers and the staff at WHYY. They will not challenge the status quo. They will not air Mumia's voice because there will be direct, both physical and economic penalties.
8: And let me just spell out for listeners who don't. Remember, in 1994, NPR had plans to run a series of commentaries from Mumia, who was, after all, a journalist, a former head of the Philadelphia Association of Black Journalists. They canceled that series. They said it was because he was so controversial and such a big story such a big story that they then proceeded to do zero coverage for the following year. And then when, as you've just said, then when Democracy Now! was going to air those commentaries, Philadelphia's KRTI canceled not just Democracy Now!, but all of Pacifica News saying, quote, with the person in charge saying, quote, what's good enough for NPR is good enough for me, close quote.
18: I was an... Eileen Weiss's office, the executive director of All Things Considered, when she looked out the window and you could see the Capitol because her NPR office was right there, and she said, I never thought I would look to the Capitol and be censored. Yesterday, Bob Dole got up on the Senate floor and threatened our entire budget if we dared air this commentary. And she then turned to me and said, can you bring me a more acceptable commentator?
8: Well, you know, folks don't know what happens behind the scenes, and I'm really appreciating this exposure. You know, folks think that, uh, some folks, I imagine, think that journalists make a decision. Who do we want to air? They put that person on, and then they deal with it. And It's not at all how it happens. But I want to bring us, for the, for the final part of our conversation, to... The other piece of that, because the efforts to silence, not just MUMIA, but the efforts to silence and close off all of the perspectives of people who are incarcerated speak to the power of those perspectives, right? It speaks to why we emphatically need to hear them. And I just want to say, you know, despite the name Prison Radio is a is a is a multimedia production um studio and the whole point is to add the voices of people most impacted by the prison industrial complex to our public conversation. And, you know, Lumia's case is an especially emphatic example of the lengths that um, powers that be, both legal, political, and media will go to to squelch those voices. But we have work resisting that and countering that, and prison radio is part of that. And I just wonder if you'd like to talk a little bit about the project and, and why you do it.
18: I first began recording Mumia, and I first heard a scratchy tape of his voice when we were covering the Robert Alden Harris execution in 1992 in California. And we were trying to get people on death row, there were 600 at the time, trying to get their voices into the mix. Look, if you can hear their last words, dated by the warden, you can interview them. If we're going to kill them, we might, they have to be part of the story.
4: Mm-hmm.
18: And so I went and tried to get somebody from San Quentin. And I couldn't. But I had heard Mumia. He was in Pennsylvania. I went and I got him. Now, Mumia is especially difficult for the mainstream media to grasp. He's incredibly fluent in the King's English. He's actually fluent in French and German and conversational in Spanish. I mean, he's an incredible intellect. And he was trained in the black newsroom, If America is going to incarcerate 2.3 million, one out of every hundred U.S. citizens is in prison, that needs to be part of the story. And I have dedicated, you know, prison radio's work to bringing those voices on every topic into the public debate and dialogue. And we feel like it's critical that those voices are heard. We can't really cover the story. Like as a journalist, if you're covering prisons, you really can't cover the story without that first person, without talking to the people that it directly impacts. You know, a lot of times, even even my own stations at Pacifica would say, no, we're not going to touch that. No, we're not going to talk to homeless people. Mm-hmm. you got to talk to prisoners. You have to give them agency. Because a lot of the prisoners and a lot of the, the culture of imprisonment tells a deeper story about America. We're not going to get it if we don't go to the prisons and get those voices out been doing it for 30 years. I became a lawyer and an investigator because it's not enough to just broadcast people's voices. We have to bring them home.
1: Welcome back. And that was uh, Noel Hanrahan. And uh, of course, we're going to listen to another uh, commentary uh, from Mumia Abu-Jamal. This was entitled, The Battle of History.
15: The Battles of History. The events surrounding Charlottesville, Virginia have a resonance far beyond the borders of Old Dominion. Even though they began as a strictly local affair, they quickly assumed a national character because this strictly local event stems from the nation's history, a history that remains not only contested but bitterly unresolved. That history, of course, is the toxic poison of white supremacy and the trigger thereof African slavery the intentional centuries-long economic social communal and psychic exploitation of Africans for the financial and psychological benefits of the white nation this toxin has tainted the bloodstream of the nation and infected all segments of society and was integral to the very development of whiteness as a core identity for millions of people who call themselves Americans. As we look at protests rolling throughout the country, the first thing we must recognize is that this isn't about monuments, nor is it about the Civil War. It is about the present. It is about how this country will define itself, how it sees itself, and how it understands its future. But history, true history, is more about today than yesterday, for it is the pathway to tomorrow, and it lives or dies in the minds of the young who learn or unlearn how this country came to be and what role they play in the days to come. That great black freedom fighter, Malcolm X, repeatedly said, "Of all our studies, history best rewards our research. He knew this, not only because he was taught this by his teacher, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, but because he learned this in the very experience of his life. For as a state prisoner, a man so hated that he was called Satan, his learning of a deeper history of black people literally made him a new man. It gave him...
1: Welcome back. And that was uh, the voice of the voiceless, Mumia Abu-Jamal. And that's going to conclude our program uh, for today, the Pan-African Journal Worldwide uh, Radio Broadcast. And if you'd like to have access to this program, just go to the Pan-African Radio Network, and that's at uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash pan-African Journal. That's blogtalkradio.com forward slash pan-African Journal. If you'd like to read the Pan-African Newswire, just go uh, to our website and that is at panafricannews.blogspot.com that's panafricannews.blogspot.com we're going to close out with the music of Horace Silver from the album entitled Cape Verdean Blues this is uh, Abayomi Azikaway signing off and have a beautiful week <laughs>